The following podcast is a proud member of the Blue Collar Roots Network. Find all the shows by visiting bluecollarroots.com. Welcome back to another edition of the Building HVAC Science Podcast. Our goal here is to help create a better, more knowledgeable HVAC and building performance technicians. That's by doing a lot of interesting interviews of people and also doing some training through the audio medium, through the podcast. The Building HVAC Science Podcast is a proud member of the Blue Collar Roots Media Network. You can find other trade-oriented podcasts of the Blue Collar Roots Network by going to www.bluecollarroots.com where we're doing our part to help transform and professionalize the trades by filling in the skills gap through training and communication. In today's episode, we'll interview Steve Baden, who's the executive director of an organization called ResNet. ResNet is a residential energy services network. Steve will talk about some of his background and how he actually founded ResNet in 1996 and where his passion for residential home energy ratings came from. We'll talk a lot about how this interfaces with the HVAC world, and we're going to share some links in the show notes where you'll be able to find out more. This was a great interview, and I hope you'll enjoy listening to Steve as much as I enjoyed speaking with him. So next, you'll hear from Steve Baden of the Residential Energy Services Network. Today, we're honored to have Steve Baden. He's the Executive Director of ResNet, the Residential Energy Services Network. We're going to find out what that's all about today and learn a lot from Steve about what's happening in the industry. So welcome, Steve. Thank you for joining me. Well, thank you for inviting me. Give us a real quick couple of sentences overview on what is ResNet? What's the background of the organization and what does it actually do for the industries? ResNet is a nonprofit organization whose mission is to improve the building performance of homes across the United States through the testing, inspection, and labeling of a home's energy performance. We are an ANSI standard development organization, and we accredited the software providers and trainers who certify raters and use the software, and we also set the standards that they must follow. ResNet was formed back in 1996 by a coalition of state energy offices, rating programs, and the mortgage industry. Its goal was to develop a national standards for home energy ratings so that the mortgage industry would be able to recognize building performance in the mortgage loan. 1996, that's over 20 years now. Yes. At what point did you get involved with ResNet? I was one of the founders of ResNet. I was his first executive, so I was there from the beginning. And sort of my background and how I got involved in this is I spent one year as a VISTA volunteer working on energy efficiency programs in rural Alaska and native villages. I spent 18 years with the Alaska Energy Office and the Alaska Energy Office has formed the first statewide home energy rating program in the country. I found how the rating system was able to transform the housing market. Close to 90% of the homes that when I was there were BERS rated, and it was tied into code enforcement. I got excited about that potential. And then when this whole idea of forming a national organization came up, I was excited, and I decided I would leap out of uh, being a bureaucrat and move into a market-driven initiative. Describe what a raider is. What does a raider do? What's their background? That kind of thing. A raider is a building performance specialist who has gone through a rigorous training program and testing 
and then basically has a probationary period in which his or her field ratings are overseen by what we call a rating provider, which is accredited by ResNet. Upon the successful completion of the test, training, and probationary ratings, the individual is certified to actually take ratings. The background of raters is very interesting. A lot of them come from the HVAC industry, former code officials, designers. And now that the rating program has reached such a penetration in the marketplace, we're seeing young people come into the industry as this as their first vocation. So it's been exciting to see that in the past, by and large, the industry was mostly people who have moved on from one skill to another to now a whole cadre of individuals who are seeing this as a vocation. That's really cool. I was involved in that webinar conference call last week by your staff but with regard to the Emerging Leaders Program. Is that part of what you're looking at, Leadership Council or something like that? Yes, as in the whole world. It is exciting because I think, unlike a lot of the trades out there, we are finding young people interested to go in it. It makes sense, one, it's computer-driven. Two, it does help the environment and give something a bit more that young people are looking for. What we did is create a council that is to be able to groom the next generation of leaders. I'm a baby boomer, so my time is coming to a close in my professional life. <laughs> me too. <laughs> so we got to groom the people who would be able to be able to make charge. I mean, it took me 20 years to be where I'm at, and we can't afford for a dynamic industry to go that way. So the idea is to seek people who are interested in this and mentor them, provide them access, provide them outlets so they can achieve a leadership role in the industry. That's got to be so satisfying for you to see, to look back. So tell me about looking back. How did things start out? What was ResNet like in its, say, first five or 10 years? Lots of dreams. <laughs> Our first effort was sort of going in and developing standards, which is not the most luxurious, exciting <laughs> field, sort of like plowing the field and then uh, planting the seeds. It's kind of interesting. It took us 20 years to do the first million homes, ERS rated. And the second million took place within five years. So it shows how long the incubation period was, but the fact now that how fast it's growing. So where would somebody find a rated home or how would they engage with a professional and what kind of people are getting their homes rated, put it that way? By and large, it's being done by builders for new construction. Builders are finding out that uh, consumers want higher performance homes and there's a lariness just to trust someone's claim that they're energy efficient. I've been in this field over 30 years, and I've never met a builder who claimed they built energy inefficient homes. So what they were looking for is some validation and some standard by which they could be measured and be able to say, this is how this home performs. It's part of a national system. It's third-party verified, and don't trust me. Look at the rating. And they've been willing to pay for that. And on the other side, it gives consumers finally an opportunity to be able to compare homes according to their energy performance. It is, if you will, a MPG for homes the same way the MPG sticker is for cars. The big difference is, is the HERS rating is a energy use metric, which means that the lower your rating, the better. The lower the score, the better. That means your home uses less energy, whereas the EPG sticker is an efficiency level, which is the opposite. So the car EPG is football, if you will, and the HERS index is golf, if you will. Golf. Okay, very good. The actual rating system itself, how is that developed? Or is it a score that moves? Is it like 0 to 100%, A, B, C, D? How does that work? It's a linear score. What we did is create what we call a reference home. 
by which the home is measured by. And the reference home is roughly a home that was built in 2006, energy-wise, combination of the 2006 IECC. And then as you use less energy, for every percent you reduce your energy use, you get a lower score. And it goes all the way down to zero. And zero equals a net zero energy home where the home is producing as much energy as it's consuming. And then vice versa, the more energy you use over the reference home, the higher the score. So, for instance, NREAL has calculated that the typical existing home on the resale market is a 130. So it gives a consumer a quick, easy way to see how efficient the home is. I know you guys have a fantastic website for both the professional and the consumer. How effective is that in reaching consumers? Are you getting consumers engaged before the builder standpoint or after? How do they get engaged? It's both. We have consumers who want to buy an efficient home. They look at our website to learn about the rating system. We also have what we call energy smart builders or builders who commit themselves to have every one of their homes hers rated. And so many times this provides a guide for a consumer looking for energy efficient home to meet up with the builder. The other factor is that we have the ability on our website for someone to look at a home and see if it's been hers rated. And if the home is hers rated, it will give who rated the home when and what the score of the home was. And then if it's not rated, it talks about how you can get a rater to come in and do a rating of the home. So what we're trying to create here is another tool for a consumer to use when they're shopping to buy a home. And even though it's now mostly with new homes, it is growing such. In 2016, almost a quarter of all new homes built were hers rated. And the more it gets into the marketplace, the consumers are more applying to ask the questions, what's the score on this? And as that continues to grow and consumers get savvy and ask that question, then it moves over to the existing homes market because the person selling the home would need to be able to answer the question from the consumers how efficient this home is. So is there a concentration in any area of the country where rated homes would be more likely to be found? Homes are hers rated from all the way from Alaska to Puerto Rico. I think the largest drivers is probably you'll follow is where the housing market is, Texas, North Carolina, Arizona, Florida. The other thing, though, what we're seeing is there are some areas that are through utility programs, marketing that are interesting. For instance, in Massachusetts, NREAL calculated that 54% of all new homes were HERS rated. And then in Indiana, it was close to 50%. And then in Iowa, something like 48%. So even though while you see the vast numbers coming for where the homes are being built, you see areas in the country where there's a lot of rated homes. And so this tool that we're talking about gives consumers ability to see the home they're shopping with was rated or not and what the score was. And we'll talk more about your contact info near the end, but definitely resnet.us, R-E-S-N-E-T.us. Is that the place to go? That is it. And you mentioned a couple acronyms here because we have a wide diversity of audience that listen to our podcast. I apologize. The bureaucrat of me came out. That's all right. I've jotted them all down and I'm going to nail you on them. So, Okay. <laughs> you mentioned twice NREL. What's your kind of couple sentence version of what NREL is? What did they do for ResNet? It's a national research laboratory, energy research laboratory. I think there's five or six of them across the country. This one is located in Colorado, and it's basically funded by the federal government to do energy research. And they've been working closely with us. They serve on a lot of our technical committees, but they recently did a study on the penetration of home energy ratings. 
Okay, so they get involved with actually building materials, building techniques, and then the energy rating. So it's the whole picture, really? It's the whole picture. And basically, they're, if you look at it, they're a national research lab. So they don't actually provide materials. What they do is analysis and research. And the other acronym you slung out there was IECC. So talk about that, please. The IECC is the International Energy Conservation Code. It is the national model code for states and local jurisdictions to adopt as part of their building energy codes. What's the adoption rate of that? Or is, I think I'm familiar with a website called Oceans that tracks the different codes that are in effect in different areas. Is that correct? Are you familiar with that? No, I'm not. But there's a number of them. I think the Department of Energy has one called Energy Codes. But I think that by and large, the International Energy Conservation Code is tracked with the International Code. And I think every state except for California uses the International Code. And I think every state besides California actually also uses the International Energy Conservation Code. And California is different because we have a state code. And the difference is that in California, we're more concerned about peak load because if you don't meet the peak load, that's when we have our brownouts, whereas the rest of the country is more pure energy. They focus on all energy sources. Does that present any challenges for ResNet being a uniform sort of code to work within the IECC as well as within California, or does it still apply? California is a challenge. I must say we've been spending about three years working with the California Energy Commission, and I think we're coming close to an agreement by which the HERS index will be recognized in the state of California, which would give us a uniform national system. Just kind of stepping back, you and I have known each other for quite a long time. Do you recall when we first met? I want to say it was like in the first days of ResNet. Yes, it was. My son called you James Bond because at trade shows, you always had all your testing equipment out. That's right. And I got that long O in my last name, Spawn, Spone, as they say sometimes. <laughs> so I think that kind of just our flows very easily <laughs> off the tongue. So you sound excited about what's going on right now in terms of like younger people getting involved, ANSI standards. So talk a little bit about ANSI standards. Is that something new that's come about or, or when did that happen in the life cycle of ResNet? The first ANSI standard was 2014. And just to let you know that I'm using another acronym. And ANSI is called the, is the American National Standard Institute. It is the national entity for consensus standards and is part of the International Standards Institute. And we developed our standard, which we cooperated with the International Code Council and it developed our first ANSI standard, uh, 301, which was how to ca calculate a home energy rating. And that was adopted in 2014. What's exciting about that is in the 2015 cycle of the International Conservation Code, a energy rating index was adopted as a compliance option for the National Energy Code. And then in 2018, the ResNet International Code Council ANSI standard for calculating energy rating indexes was actually adopted as part of the International Energy Conservation Code. So our ANSI standard now is also established in the code. The other factor that was also took place is that we have a ANSI consensus standard on the testing of air leakage and duct leakage. And at the 2018 International Energy Conservation Code hearings, that standard, which is, again, a joint ResNet International Code Council Standard 380, was adopted as part of the International Code for the undertaking of uh, blower door testing. 
I sense this, the importance of standards is you have something uniform. That way you can have a national rating that has equal footing, equal weight. It's not just a random test that I said I did this, you said you did that. It's being done with standards. So this is really, is that the whole role of ResNet is to bring together a standard way, a standard uniform format? That's one of the important elements because it does add credibility. It does something then that consumers can trust, that bankers can lend on. But the other factor that we do is we set rules for the certification and training of the raters and then also the software they use. And then finally, we work with industry partners across the country on getting the word out on the HERS index and implying the uh, HERS index scores for other factors such as code compliance for builders to market their new efficient homes, for utilities to provide incentives for efficient homes. And then what's been particularly exciting is working with the Appraisal Institute on getting a HERS index uh, rated home factored into a home's appraisal. Once that's done, is that going to actually appear like in a mortgage listing or a, they call over here, what they call them MLSs, multi-listing services. That's another factor. The importance on the appraisal is that calculates how much you can put a loan into. So they're saying the market value of this and you can only lend up to 20% of the. If it's not in the appraisal, then you have to pay the additional amount in cash. So we're working with appraisers on educating them on the HERS index and then also giving it ability for them to look up a home's HERS index and then to be able to consider that performance and how much monthly savings into the appraiser. And what this leads to is there was a study done by the University of North Carolina about two or three years ago that found that homes with low HERS index scores actually had a 32% less foreclosure rate, which demonstrated that the homes that are rated as being very efficient have less risk to a mortgage lender. A lot of our listeners are from the HVAC world. What are the, some of the ties that you've developed and interfaces you see between HVAC and HERS ratings? We've worked closely with the Air Conditioning Contractors Association of America, commonly known as ACCA. Uh, matter of fact, we are developing a joint international consensus standard on the ability to rate the actual performance of an installed HVAC system. Currently, we rely upon the nameplate efficiency, and we all know that installation doesn't guarantee that it was installed per manufacturer's recommendations. So this would provide builders credit if they go out and actually do a testing on the actual installation performance. ACA has a program called uh, Quality Install. And it would give HVAC contractors who go through that protocols, builders, credit for going through that process and demonstrating that the system was properly installed and commissioned. Geez, it's a revelation here. Air conditioning systems aren't plug and play. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> Our heating systems are not plug and play. Imagine that. It's the same as it is on insulation. Just because the R value is on that roll of insulation doesn't mean it was installed properly. And if you do a lousy job on it, it won't do its job. We have about five or six years ago developed a rating system for the installation of insulation. Of course, the HVAC system is a lot more complicated, but we've been working closely with the Energy Star for Homes program and with ACA on developing an international standard by which the performance of the HVAC system could be rated and credit given to builders who demonstrate they were properly commissioned. 
Did you know that Bacharach has been a leader in the design and manufacturing of combustion analysis equipment since 1909? Actually, I knew that fact because I used to work there for 10 years. What a great company. During their fall promotion, you can save on the purchase of a new combustion analyzer with rebates worth up to $350. That offer includes a free two-year subscription for their exclusive B-Smart Sensor Exchange program with the purchase of a Firite Intech or Insight Plus. With the B-Smart Sensor Exchange program, pre-calibrated sensors are shipped directly to you. No more hassle, no more downtime when you return your analyzer to the factory for calibration. Download your rebate form today at mybackrack.com forward slash offers. That's my com forward slash offers. And enter the promo code HVAC Science. That's HVAC S C I E N C E. That will let them know that you heard about it here on the Building HVAC Science podcast. This is a time limited offer, so be sure to do it today. We talked a lot about standards. Standards are written documents. Are these uh, written documents available? You don't have to tell me web addresses now, but if they are, we can put them in the show notes. They're free. You can download them at the ResNet website. Okay, we'll, we'll make sure that we put some links into the show notes. Since we're talking about HVAC contractors, there are quite a few HVAC contractors that have become and expanded their business by becoming HERS Raiders. And this is an opportunity for maybe uh, companies who are not as busy as they'd like to be or growing their opportunities by looking at providing home energy rating services. And on our website at resnet.us, we have a way where which you can learn on how to become a certified HERS rater. You've got a career path, basically, or you can bolt this onto your business if you're involved in you know, the technical aspect. Exactly. It's just another business development opportunity that an HVAC contractor can add to this company's. Because I think over the period of time, one of the changes that I see in the HVAC industry is that consumers and builders are going to understand that performance is key. And they're going to be willing to maybe pay more because they have the assurance of mind that the system was properly installed and that HVAC contractors will also not, will move from just being selling of equipment to the actually being performance uh, professionals and making a whole house solution to the performance of a home and then also being able to demonstrate to consumers that their staff has been properly trained and follow the protocols to ensure that the system is properly installed and operating. And being a HERS Raider is a real opportunity to be part of that movement. Are there any aspects of sort of your personal life that have impacted the way you go about uh, your work, uh, passion for things? Are there any tie-ins there? It's funny how I got here because I was going to be a history teacher and I was working on my doctorate at the University of Kansas and back in the 70s, and if you recall, those were the days of the Arab boycotts. And I was doing a graduate seminar on the causes of the World War II with why did Japan bomb Pearl Harbor. And I remember turning on the radio and listening to Henry Kissinger say that cutting the U.S. supply of oil would be viewed akin to a declaration of war against the country which had my mind working about, that's kind of interesting because U.S. cut the oil supply of Japan, and that was one of the reasons they bombed Pearl Harbor because they wanted to get to the Southeast Asia oil and didn't want the United States to involve it. So it was one of the big reasons. So it started me thinking about energy policy, and then 
after I decided that maybe an academic wasn't quite my forte, I took a period off and worked in a presidential campaign. And then after that, I decided, well, what I'm going to do with the rest of my life now, I don't know if I wanted to go back to academia. And so I made a decision that I had not served my country. I did not uh, serve in the military, and I felt that I did obligation to give something back to the country. So I joined for a year the Domestic Peace Corps, which is called VISTA. And as I mentioned before, I was a project that was assigned to Alaska working on energy-efficient programs for Alaska Native villages. And having areas of heating degree days of over 195,000 uh, hitting greedy days, being in the Arctic, and then also having oil at that time in the 70s, over $3 a gallon, came to my line of how energy is so important, life and death, first of all. But you saw homes out there built by the federal government that had R11 walls, single-pane windows, linoleum framing, maybe R18 in the ceilings, a very inefficient heating system. And you could imagine how much of any disposable income went out at the uh, door and walls and chimney, and then also how they were not comfortable to live in. So it became a passion of mine to look at is what can we do to improve people's lives by having living and comfortable homes. And then the more I looked at it, the more I realized how residential homes are a key factor in the nation's environmental and energy matrix. In terms of electrical consumption, homes produce the largest share of electrical use in the United States. Yeah, something like 40%, yeah. And then when you look at carbon production, residential homes are also big. Buildings are the largest emitter of CO2, much bigger than transportation and much more bigger than factories. And so when you think about carbon, most times people start thinking about automobiles but it actually is our homes and offices that create it. So if we can generate ways to reduce that, it's a win-win for all. Consumers live in a comfortable home. We have less dependence on foreign oil. We use less emissions to the environment, and there's more disposable income. And so my passion went into is how can we work with the marketplace? Because I worked for a government agency for over 20 years, And I saw programs go, fundings go, come and go, depending upon who was president or governor, it'd be a lot of money. Then suddenly another party would take over and there's no money. And so I realized that if we're really going to have a sustainable energy and economic basis, and we are going to improve the performance of homes, we had to do it through the marketplace. And that's where my passion went into. And that's why I'm feeling really fulfilled right now, because around just a little under 25% of all new homes now are HERS rated. And what's also exciting to me is that last year, the average HERS index score was 61, which means it used 39% less energy than a home built in 2006 and close to 60-some percent less than a home is built recently as the 70s. This has been done through the marketplace, and it's exciting to see how builders – and consumers have reacted to the idea of a credible label of a performance on the home. So you've struck a chord out there, yeah. And I think it shows the marketplace can work. And this is the period when funding wasn't great. The tax credits had expired. So this was really, truly part of the marketplace. So it it does make me really excited to see that you can achieve benefits, things for society and the economy and people's lives through the marketplace. 
That's fantastic. And I know that you're not going to stop here. I mean, a person like you is not going to stop. What do you see next? What's coming next down the pike for home performance? Are there other standards, other ratings, other systems? I think what's going to happen is two things, and I'm terribly excited about. One is in order for us to get to that next threshold above 25% and then actually moving into more to the existing homes, we have to reduce the transactional cost of these inspections. And what's exciting me at coming around the corner, and Bill, you're with this every day, is how equipment testing and protocols are moving so fast that it's going to become easier. I mean, I've been seeing some exciting things with drones. I saw a case where a energy auditor for a rural electric co-op created a crawl space drone, kind of like a surfboard that was able to go underneath the crawl space and look at what the insulation in the walls and it was. And I think those are going to happen. Our testing of performance systems have revolutionized and the cost has gone way down. And then what also is exciting is that our system is based upon quality assurance oversight. Don't just take the Raiders word, but go back and test it. And with new remote technologies and equipment, the ability to be able to do third-party observations of a radar in the field through technology is also exciting. So that's one thing is I see technology and better understanding, reducing it. And then the other great new wave is I think we've shown that the marketplace is working for energy, although we can improve it. But I think the next wave being from California is water efficiency. Because if you look at it, consumers have utility bills. We pay a lot of attention to energy, but also water is a utility bill that consumers have to pay. And it's actually the cost of water and sewer is, is rising faster than energy cost. The last five years across the country, water and sewer bills has increased 11% a year. And that's just only going to increase. So the idea is why not have a, a dual system by which when a rater is in the home, they can not only rate the energy performance of the home, but also the water. And then that would give a consumer who's looking for a sustainable footprint more information on the home. It would provide incentives for builders to be more water efficient. And it would be a big factor in reducing consumer cost. And I think that once we tie these two together, you can imagine the impact then on the monthly savings of a combined efficiency and water strategy that we're talking real savings. And I think that's something then when we get to that kind of level that the mortgage industry would stand up and take notice of. So that it's really like all the utilities then would be embraced by some type of rating, some efficiency rating. Yes. And being from California, I'm on the trenches of, matter of fact, just six miles from my house, a water desolidation plant was built which is converting salt water of the ocean into fresh water. That's probably the most expensive water that you could possibly get. And like energy, the cheapest water out there is what you don't use. That's true. So that's what gets me on the next round. And I think then in continuing to work with MLSs, appraisers, and lenders, by understanding the simple fact that water utility bills is a cost of housing. Because right now, the whole mortgage industry is based upon principal interest taxes and insurance. It doesn't consider energy cost. And in most localities, the cost of utilities is much higher than insurance or taxes. But this is never considered into it. And the idea is once that is becoming understanding a cost of housing, then you would get incentives for homes that use less because that house would be then a more affordable and have a higher appraised credit 
because it is less to operate. And people will be more able to qualify to buy a home. Insight that a lot of people don't realize how all these things tie together. When you started this, did you have a vision? How soon do you think you would have arrived at this point? Are you there earlier? Are you there later? Or are you on a totally different path? I'll be honest with you. I never dreamt it would be like this. I thought we would do incremental, but I never dreamt that we would be doing over 200,000 homes a year, having rated more than 2 million homes across the country. So that was beyond my dream. If we did a 1,000 homes a year per state, we were ecstatic in those days. And I really, have to be honest with you, I never envisioned it would be like this. I think there's still room to grow because I'm not satisfied with 25%. I think if we can set this right and if we can give the tools to the lending industry, the appraisal industry, and the real estate industry, then it just makes sense that the mortgage system would provide resources for consumers to improve, to either buy a high-performance home or take the home and make it more efficient and retrofit it and enroll into the mortgage loan. Because as long as the energy savings exceed the added cost of financing the improvements, the industry should be ahead. And as we get the threshold we're doing, as we get more and more ratings accepted, I think that's the vision in the past is that it would be a normal mortgage transaction. And then that would give consumers the ability when they someone's selling a home or buying the home to upgrade the home then and there and roll that improvement into the mortgage loan. That's probably been my greatest disappointment. I've worked 30 years on getting this into this vision into the mortgage industry. We tried things such as energy-efficient mortgages and stuff. And I think that workarounds don't really work. And I think it's going to have to happen where we have to collectively see the cost of utilities as a housing cost. Because then dollar for dollar, it starts making all kinds of economic sense. So that's my vision. But my greatest disappointment was we really haven't proceeded much in the decades I've worked in terms of having the mortgage industry recognize performance into the mortgage loan. I see. There's a concept I've heard about a lot. Does it affect ResNet at all? Or the, the concept of rating is the PACE, the Property Assessed Clean Energy, the PACE? The PACE, and particularly in California, is doing amazing things. There's a lot of homeowners have taken advantage of that. There's a big marketplace, particularly for installation of solar systems and retrofits. It really doesn't affect us. There's been some hiccups in terms of bad uh, business practices among some of the entities, but I think the industry is trying to clean up their act. I think that's a really viable tool for consumers, but I'm more looking at our area is into the mortgage loan. When you buy or sell your home, that's the cheapest money that people can get is a mortgage loan. Using that tool as part of the housing transaction, making improvements both to existing homes and the ability of consumers to afford high-performance homes. I'm very familiar with, for years, attending the the ResNet conference where you have the vendors and you have a lot of training sessions. Do you want to talk that up a little bit? And is that a place for someone maybe who's curious about this to attend if someone's looking at moving into this? We have an annual conference, which is called the ResNet Building Performance Conference. It takes place every year, usually in late February. Our next one will be in 2018 in Orlando. And it is the forum for uh, home energy ratings, some of these business practice we talked about. And if anyone who uh, wants to see if this would be a good thing to expand their company to, this is a great opportunity to be able to see firsthand 
and get a pulse of what's taking place. We have around 800 to 900 individuals have turned each year. We have some of the best minds in building performance that come and give breakout sessions. I think we have over like 100 sessions, the breakout sessions we offer. What's exciting about this time is we're going to also be looking at some tours as part of the conferences of the houses of the future. Homes that are explying almost every element of building performance into it to have low energy cost. And so I think this is a great opportunity and you can learn more at our website. Thank you for the plug. Oh, no problem. I mean, this is part of the mix here to explaining everything. One of the things that it's exciting to me that I don't know if you recognize because you've probably been in every trade show we have, but what I've noticed over is that over the years, the audience is getting younger and more diverse. It used to be white males in their 50s and 60s, and we're seeing each conference a more diverse amount, which I think is another reflection of the growth of the industry. Yes, and the acceptance of what you're doing, too. I mean, it's dynamic. The other part of it is you do part of the quality control of the process you have includes quality control of the individual. So there is a professional development. Explain that aspect. We have two things. One, that every three years, a Raider must renew their certification, and they have to have 18 hours of professional development training. They keep themselves up with the changes in the industry. Also, we have quality assurance in terms of actually overseeing it. Each year, every Raider has to have 10% of their ratings file-reviewed. In other words, the Raider goes in the field, does the measurements and tests, and then feed into a computer. Each year, 10% of those building files have to be reviewed. And then I think even more importantly, each year, 1% of the homes, a quality assurance agent needs to go out and replicate the rating and ensure that the Raider is producing accurate ratings. That adds to the quality. And quality on the ratings and credibility is best upon certain pillars. One, the software is accurate. And we have a test, a suite of tests on software. Second, that the Raider, as you mentioned, is properly trained and properly tested and properly filled, exercised. And then finally is the oversight of the Raider each year on how they perform. That all comes together and it provides your overall QA because you really are a QA organization in a lot of aspects. That's correct. Wrapping up here, just wanted to see if you had any further thoughts to communicate, any other points we might have missed on. Well, I think it's pretty been a pretty uh, full. Again, I just want to say, since your audience is HVAC contractors, it's real worth paying attention to ResNet. I think that when ACA and ResNet completes its ANSI standard for the rating, the commissioning of the HVAC system, I think builders are going to be knocking the door because builders are very, very in a competitive mode of reducing their score. And this will give them a whole new avenue of having a better score. And the more that HVAC contractors are aware of that standard and that process, the better they're going to be served and the ability they're going to meet the builder's needs, which is a business opportunity. And then to go back is I think HVAC companies should look at the idea of having rating services as an added value that their company can offer another tool in their tool chest. Makes a lot of sense. It's a technical discipline. It, it does involve the HVAC system in some parts, but this building science, HVAC science, that's part of the reason we're doing this podcast is there's a lot of overlap here. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we got to get out of the silos. It's and Building performance is going to have all the trades needing to be able to communicate and work together. Clearly, the performance of the HVAC system is going to be get governed by the air leakage and the insulation on the home. And 
getting involved as being a raider gives you that whole house orientation and be able to see the effects of one has on the other. I think there's a lot of techniques. There's a lot of concrete basic understanding that you get from following the rating process that you can apply in even on a non-rated home. It would just allow you to do better work overall to understand how these all these things tie together. So that's, again, part of why we're doing it. And again, you can learn all about all this on our website, resnet.us. Kind of a final closing thought here. You got to take one of these or the other, okay? Either your favorite <laughs> quote or something people should know about home performance, but they generally don't know. That's a tough one. I think what I'm going to go with, I'm going to pass the quote. I have favorite quotes, but I don't know how apropos it is for the uh, podcast. But I think the one thing I can leave that maybe they're not aware of, if anything today they pick up, is that there's an evolution now of the new homes industry to high-performance homes. And that provides a real opportunity for the trades to expand their business opportunities. Good. It might be overlooked if everybody's just looking at the same concrete list of service calls every day, they might miss out on this bigger picture. So that's a good closing thought to leave people with. If anyone wants to get in touch with you, should they do it through the website? Is that the best way? Or they can send me an email. My email address is sbaden, S-B-A-D-E-N, at resnet.us. Fantastic. Well, Steve, I really got to thank you for all the time you spent here with me today. And I look forward to seeing you uh, probably the next time we'll be at the conference in Orlando at the end of February there. So thanks again, and I really appreciate your time. Good luck with all these future endeavors, and I'm sure we'll be talking. Yeah, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I've been working with Steve Baden and ResNet, the organization, through my worlds at Testo and Backrack and TrueTech Tools for a number of years, and I think I even learned a couple of things speaking with Steve today. It's really good to have him on the show. If you want to keep up with other things that I find interesting, please follow us on our Facebook page by typing Building HVAC Science into the Facebook search bar. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor of the Building HVAC Science podcast, please email me at bill underscore spohn, S-P-O-H-N, at bluecollarroots.com. If you're in the market for tools or test instruments, some things that are mentioned in our podcast, you might want to take a look at True Tech Tools. You can use the code HVACBS for a nice discount. In full disclosure, I'm one of the co-owners at True Tech. So as always, thank you for listening and following us at Building HVAC Science. If you like what you heard today and you have not subscribed, consider doing so by typing Building HVAC Science into the search bar of one of these three services for Apple, the podcast app, or for Android, Google Play Music, or Stitcher. You can also listen in your browser at www.bluecollarroots.com forward slash building dash HVAC dash science. Thanks again for listening and take care.